on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgianos. And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgianos. Today in our show, we're going to talk about, we have five topics, so I'm going to talk fast. But first topic, impeaching border buster Mayorkas. Why should we do it? We have a guest joining us via Skype, Brandon Gill. He's a candidate for Congress here in Texas. It's an open seat, Texas CD26, great candidate. Next, lawfare versus Trump, where we are now. I'm going to run through the lawfare status. Biden bullies black Americans. I'm going to show you a tape I think you will not believe. And finally, just to squeeze in a bit, U.S. Representative Clay Higgins and J6 eye openers. Of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. So we started, I mentioned, impeaching border buster Mayorkas. So tomorrow, uh, actually today in Washington, there is a, a hearing that President Trump attended related to his arguments about immunity and how much, whether immunity should attach to his conduct while he was still serving as president. I'm going to save that until our third segment today, but I know that's today. Tomorrow in Congress in Washington, uh, there is an effort to bring... Um, uh, begin impeachment proceedings against uh, Mayorkas. And I want to just say a couple things about this whole effort to uh, impeach him. You know, um, this guy had a statement out that was that he was being criticized about his basically failure to enforce the border. And this is the brashness, the audacity of people in Washington, because everyone in America actually paying attention, watching news, anyone who's gone to the border or even watches news reports recognizes it's pretty much utterly unenforced. Many people, elected officials, have said in the show, we don't have a border. And yet Mayorkas issues a statement saying, you know, everything's fine. I don't, you know, we're, everything's rolling along um, royally. So I want to mention a quick things about uh, leading up to this effort to begin the impeachment proceedings. Um, and I'm going to start with something that was an interesting thing that Congresswoman Kat Kamek uh, had to say. She's from Florida. And she reported, I mean, she said on some news show that uh, she had a private meeting with uh, several people um, with um, Mr. Mayorkas and that when he was asked, essentially they're talking about we're going to begin impeachment proceedings, she said, this is Congresswoman Kat Kamek, when behind closed doors we told him you are you're, getting ready to be impeached, he said, you're not going to like who comes next. I asked him if that was a threat. And he smiled. Those were her words. And I'm telling you this to say, these people who are this border abandonment agenda is not is not a policy choice. It's not a it's not a mistake. It's not a failure to, um, you know, provide adequate funds for border enforcement. It's an agenda. It's a dangerous, dangerous agenda. And they are unafraid of the American views, uh, people's view, unafraid of what happens in Congress. And Mayorkas is essentially saying, go ahead, knock yourself out. Try to impeach me or do impeach me. Do remove me. I don't care. Because what the, he's basically, he's, you know, he's uh, Biden's Secretary of Homeland Security. 
He's basically saying the next person will be worse. So he's telling the Republicans, we don't care that you know and the American people know that we don't enforce the border. Next guy will be worse than I am. Other thing, I don't normally dwell on stories like this, but there are hundreds and hundreds of stories like this of deaths of American citizens due to the presence within our jurisdiction, our country, of people with no legal right to be here, illegal aliens. In this particular case, it just, it just grabbed at my heartstrings. A mother and her teenage son were killed in a car accident shortly before Christmas in Colorado, head-on collision caused by an illegal alien drunk driver. And in this accident, you know, this, uh, so the, the mom perished at the scene, the teenage son survived a couple hours or something. But this person who, uh, who is, it was in this fatal drunk, caused this fatal drunk driving crash, he's a 37-year-old illegal alien from El Salvador, arrested and charged in December uh, with killing uh, one person, a mother of three sons, um, on and on and on. I'll just go back to his um, record. He has... He has been uh, removed from the country four prior convictions just in Boulder County, Colorado for drunk driving 2007 and 2019. He's been deported from the U.S. in June 2009, June 2012, November 2014, and January 2015. So he's, he comes back in. We catch him or don't, we send him away. And this is, when I get at this idea of Mayorkas being impeached, which I hope he is re impeached and removed, but even just impeached. There are countless stories like this of people who lost their lives because of the failure of American, the American government to enforce the border. It's not even failure, it's refusal. It's an intentional policy choice on behalf of the Biden administration. I want to urge you to go to our website to read this one article because I can't go through the details today, but there is a video out now, the Daily Caller had it, it's a Turkish, a man from Turkey, a Turkish smuggler who has an app. He's running an app telling people all over the world how to get into America. I mean, it literally, it's a, it's an, a live app and he's, he's going on, on uh, giving interviews, explaining what he's doing. He's making money. He's got an app where he's telling people essentially how they can get to America. You know, step one, step two, step three, go here. Of course, it costs him a bunch of money, but he's at the border giving interviews saying, yeah, look at all these people. I mean, we are being mocked and ridiculed and laughed at. And speaking of that, Mexico, there was a meeting just uh, last week between Joe Biden. Basically, he went down to talk to the Mexican uh, President um, Obrador. Um, and the basic point of this, well, my telling you this this morning is, today, is that Mexico looks at the feckless fool who, who resides in the U.S. White House, who at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the President of the United States, and he realizes that Biden is not trying to protect the border. Biden doesn't really care what's happening, but this show, you know, those stunt trip to run down to Mexico and say, we're securing Mexican assistance. You know, the answer that he got from the uh, Mexican president, um, Obrador, is that, oh, you want our help in, in enforcing the border? Uh, we need 20 billion more dollars. Mexico saying to America, if you want our help enforcing the border, 20 billion more dollars. He wants money coming of American taxpayers down to Mexico, who, and who even knows how they'll use it. But my point in telling you that is that this is a situation where it's not just that American lives are threatened, it's not just that we're losing the sense of any sense of citizenship and enforceable border and the meaning of American citizenship. The world, most especially our southern neighbor in this story, laughing at the 
just utter foolishness of our, of our entire government, our administration. So they have people um, testifying tomorrow, starting tomorrow, um, in Congress at three state attorneys general. And they are from Montana, Oklahoma, and Missouri. And basically, this is a kickoff of the hearing to impeach, to attempt to impeach Mayorkas. And these, this is not even border state people. These aren't even border state attorney generals. These are people, attorneys general rather. These are people from other states who are just saying the border being unenforced, the southern border, is impacting our communities. Our we have crime problem, drug problem affording health care problem, education problem, this problem of illegal aliens with no enforced border pouring into these non-border states. And these people are there are testifying about that. And I'll just close the first five. Uh, actually, one more quick point about this. There's a big protest going on in Germany. And the only relevance to this story is in Germany, the farmers have so had it, they're so frustrated with the policies of their government, their, the country's government, that they are engaged in an eight-day protest. They're blocking the major freeways. They're dumping out um, manure onto freeways to block passage. They are essentially engaged in whatever they can do to get the attention of the German government. So now I'll turn back to America and this hearing coming up with Mr. Mayorkas tomorrow. The concept that in the United States of America, where the government can track everyone all the time, knows where you are, who you called, where you ate, where you grew up. They know everything about you. They can track all the, the lives of their American citizens. Everyone who dared step foot in Washington on January 6th, that government is actually essentially saying to the American people, we just can't figure out how to enforce the border. I mean, we just, you know, obviously they're choosing not to, They've cut back funding to the point they can't. They, they took away all the great policies that President Trump put in place during his four years of presidency to secure the border. We have a federal government that is truly endangering the American people, actually surrendering sovereignty. If you don't have an enforceable border, you're not really a sovereign nation. And the idea that Congress even has to go along with some you know, it's like a show trial, marching in three attorneys general from non-border states to explain, actually, when you bring a lot of people here, people to America, you allow them to enter and they have no legal right to be here. They don't have jobs. They have, and, and so you're impacting our economy, our education, our healthcare system, our crime. Everything's a mess in our states because of this border policy. It just struck me as absurd, absurd that we even have to be trying to make hold a hearing to make an argument that there's a problem, as though the problem is not screamingly obvious to everyone in America. Screamingly obvious that the southern border isn't enforced. It's a choice by the Biden administration not to enforce. It's got a nefarious purpose. It's not just because they're really nice people like to let in more people, you know, the huddled masses. This is an actual intentional invasion of America at the southern border. An actual invasion, not just tolerated by, but cultivated by, legitimized and enabled by our own government. And the idea that Congress, I know they have to do it, they have to follow proper procedure, they have to have a hearing, they have to present the information they need to present to move toward impeachment, but the, it's, a, it's really a measure, it's a window on the crazy of where we are in America today, that we have to pretend that otherwise we can't really build a case about impeaching Mayorkas, and frankly, ought to be his whole team and the presidential team. But in any case, we have to bring witnesses in because otherwise there is insufficient evidence or insufficient reason to believe that impeachment is justified. 
It's the craziest situation ever, the concept that in the United States of America, formerly the city on a hill for the world, is at a place of massive collapse of the border, massive invasion, danger to the American people, and we have to tiptoe through a hearing in Congress to prove there really is a problem. The only reason, though, because I, I, I read sources saying, why don't we just forget about, don't even do this impeachment. There are a couple good reasons, and I'll wrap up the first five, which is now the first 12. Number one is, it would be really great to force a vote in the U.S. House on impeachment of Mayorkas, of, of Department of Homeland Security Mayorkas, to get a vote. Let the American people see, are there Republicans who don't think there's enough evidence to impeach him? I, I certainly hope not. On the Democrat side, even a Democrat, from, especially from a border state, are they going to dare say, no, we're not going to impeach Mayorkas because he seems like a swell guy to me. I think he's doing his job. Force a vote on the record. Who will support impeaching and removing this guy and who will not? I understand the Senate's not going to remove him. I understand the policies won't change, but it's beginning to establish the record that can be used by candidates candidates for Congress, candidates for the presidency, anyone running in this election cycle to say, look, we had this hearing, and here is what, uh, we, here is what, what transpired. So I'll wrap up the first five by saying I'm glad they're having the hearing. They need to have it for public information. They need to have it, to have it for the purpose of a vote on the record by the members of Congress, and they need to have it so the tiniest signal can come from the Republican side of the aisle that we are done humoring this outrageous invasion of America. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So we have a, a gentleman joining us uh, today. He's uh, not here in the studio, but he's uh, on screen in a moment. His name is Brandon Gill. He's running for uh, U.S. Congress uh, in the great state of Texas, CD, Central, um, which is Congressional District 26. This is an open seat. The incumbent has retired. There are a number of people in this race. Um, and so I, but I, I'm bringing this gentleman on because I think he's got just an excellent chance and a great story to tell you. Um, so I'd like to welcome to the show, please, Brandon Gill. Debbie, thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining me. Great to see you. So as I was telling before we start, first of all, I'm so glad you could join me because I know you're busy. I know there was a forum last night with however many candidates were there. Um, and I'd love to hear about that later, but if you could quickly tell our listeners just a little bit about your background, like why are you here and you know what's your background and why you're running for Congress? Sure. And first, first of all, I enjoyed your monologue and, and would love to touch on immigration as well, because I think you hit on some really key points. But I'll tell you guys a little bit about myself first. I was, uh, for background, I was born on a military base and raised in West Texas on a cattle ranch just outside of Abilene. We raised Angus and Brangus beef cows, had about 300 head of cows, four dogs and a donkey that we called Barack out there to give you a bit of background. I, um, from there, graduated from a, a rural public high school with about 24 students in my graduating class and providentially made my way up to college in the Northeast, which is where I met my beautiful wife, Danielle. We've been married for about six and a half years now. We just had our first little daughter, Marigold, who's five months old, which is a lot of fun, tons of fun. Um, at Dartmouth, very liberal school. This is where we, where we went to college, very liberal school. Um, very secular school. Spent my time there either leading a Christian ministry called Christian Union, which I grew to be one of the largest student groups on campus. And whenever I wasn't doing that, I was running a, a college newspaper called the Dartmouth Review, which was the, the rabble-rousing conservative paper out there. So left that and worked in finance, had a very successful career in finance. And 
the the problem was is I I could doing my thing. I, I was living the American dream. Um, I made it from a West Texas cattle ranch to sort of the apex of finance, but I just couldn't stand to, to sort of sit on the sidelines as the left was destroying this country, whether it was destroying the economy or just ripping apart our country's social fabric and frankly, ripping apart the constitution in the process. So I left that so that I could get back into the conservative fight. And I started a conservative media business initially as an agency to help conservative influencers navigate censorship, which by early 2021 was very widespread. And then after that, I started a conservative media outlet called DC Inquirer, which is a pro-Trump America first news outlet. And I started it, frankly, so that we could go to bat for President Trump every day, because as, as you and I both know, the right wing media doesn't always get behind Trump the way I think that they should. Um, and the left wing media is just swinging punches at him nonstop. So we started that just so that we could support President Trump and other good patriot fighters in, in Congress and elsewhere. Whenever I wasn't doing that, I was working on movies with my father-in-law, Dinesh D'Souza. I was a part of making 2000 Mules, and then I was an executive producer of Police State. You asked why I was running, and um, we can touch on that a bit more, but one of the questions that I would always get, especially after we made 2000 Mules, was people would watch it and they'd say, wow, look at what the left is doing to this country. And our question now is, how do we respond? What do we do to push back against this? And my answer is I'm I'm running for U.S. Congress so that we can fight the left there. Love that. And I will say I was going to definitely talk about 2000 Mules and Police State. Uh, you know, your father-in-law, Dinesh D'Souza, is just a clearly on the right, just a revered um, filmmaker and advocate and uh, has just a very in, in, insightful way of speaking. He, he draws people in because he explains things well. It's just wonderful. So I will tell you on the subject of the, uh, um, yeah, I'm going to do 2000 Mules first. On the 2000 Mules, it was really great. I, I you know, I'm a little bit I'm heavily immersed in politics. I read a lot, so I was pretty familiar with much of the um, efforts that have been made to use mail-in ballots and how they were fraudulently, you know, they concocted COVID, so we had to have the ballots and all that happened. But that the 2000 Mules film, giving a visual and giving the, well, you know, the camera angles, you see people running up, stuffing ballots in for people who don't like to read or don't, you know, don't have time to read, you just sit and watch that film, 2000 Mules, it is still groundbreaking and timely for people to watch now, to get to the idea, this is the level of corruption in our, in our um, election system. I, I find it staggering, great film. So you were, you were involved in working on that one. Mm -hmm. yep. And so did you already kind of know it all or did you learn, you must have learned a lot while it was going on. No, and that was a, a really wild one. I think after the 2000 election, um, we all kind of knew that the election was stolen. It's just that we didn't have, we weren't able to put our finger on what exactly happened with the sort of analytical precision that we needed. You know, prior to the election, we knew that via all kinds of different manipulative laws across the country, it was almost like leaving your house um, with the doors unlocked and the windows open. We had left it, we had a structure that was set specifically so that an election could be rigged or stolen or so that there could be some sort of fraud. But knowing that, and then we could see the statistical anomalies um, in the election after 2020, but we still didn't have the sort of precision that we needed to, to take this to court, for example. And I remember whenever Dinesh first told me about the data that he had, 
from True the Vote, and they, True the Vote does phenomenal. I can't speak more too highly of them. They do phenomenal work. And what they were able to do, the premise of 2000 Mules, is that they were able to take cell phone geotracking data, which is unbelievably precise, and match that up with security camera footage at drop boxes in swing states across the country so that you could see and you could track people going to multiple drop boxes in the same night and stuffing them with ballots. The point was, it was frankly, even knowing that the 2020 election was stolen prior to seeing this, whenever Dinesh first showed me this and I first realized the evidence we had, it was jaw dropping. You know, I think that as Americans, it's really difficult. We live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And it, we like to believe that our government is full of good people who are looking out for us. And whenever you see with so much certainty, like we did here, that there are really, really bad, nefarious actors manipulating our political system. Frankly, it's hard to, it, it's, it's hard to watch. Um, but I, I think that exposing it like we did in 2000 Mules is the first step in creating solutions. And I'm, I'm really proud of the work that we did, frankly. Absolutely. You should be. It's, it's simply an astonishing film. And I, I say, as I said a moment ago, if because you do hear people uh, just at this political lunch that I mentioned before we, I got here for the studio, for the show, and there are people saying, well, there are questions about the, two th the 2020 elections, and I'm feeling impatient about that. You know, the questions mm -hmm. meaning how in the world do they get away with this, but the notion it's stolen. People on the conservative side ought to be able to say, of course it was stolen. You have what 2,000 mules presented, and I've had multiple experts in a variety of issues related to 2020, and we can't claim we can't impassion people enough to get behind fixing election fraud if they're still playing the game of, well, I'm not sure there really was. It could have been. Well, and you hear a lot of Republicans saying, well, there's always some fraud. And the notion that get be, we can't, the, the caliber of a theft of the, of the presidential election is it, astonishing. And so I commend the film a lot. I do want to turn to, though, was driving you to run for Congress. Um, obviously, one thing would be election integrity. Um, and then you mentioned the border. I, because, you know, I, you're, um, you're, advocacy for this seat. I mean, the seat is, as we were saying, whatever it is, 13 people running, 11, something like that. Um, 11. 11? Hmm. Yeah, okay, anyway, just so beside those issues, because you're, you're a young man who could be successful in Wall Street, you can keep on working there and, and have a lovely, wealthy, um, you know, lovely life, robust life, but you left that to create a, a news source, DC Inquirer, which um, rightfully got Trump's attention because you're speaking truth about Trump. And now you're running for Congress. So, I mean, beside those two things, are there any other issues that just just grab your heartstrings? Well, there are several. I'm 100% pro-life, and I think that conservatives need to be pro-life. And, and frankly, it was great to see President Trump was the most pro-life president we've had in my lifetime. Um, so that's a big issue to me. But you asked why I'm running for Congress, and I, and I do want to come back to election fraud if, if we have a chance. The way I see the, the state of the country, and we've seen this for a little while, is we've got open borders, we've got an economy that's collapsing, we've got crime is spiking in our cities, our heartland is being gutted with jobs being shipped overseas. Um, we've got Democrats trying to put dirty books in our little children's schools and trying to do gender mutilation um, surgeries on young children. It's disgusting. And if you look at the, the state of the country, the question that you should ask is why, why are we in this position? And one reason is because the left has gone further and further and further to the left. 
Um, they're radicalized and they hate this country and they hate the people who live in it, frankly. But the other reason is that we have had a Republican Party who has been living in the 1980s and the 1990s for far too long. In other words, we have a Republican Party who is putting up no meaningful opposition to the Democrat Party, who's living in the past. They're living in the good old days of Tip O'Neill, whenever they thought that the Democrat Party was full of the Tip O'Neills who could compromise with Republicans, the good old days of the blue dog Democrats. That's who the Republican Party today thinks we're up against. And the reality is that the days the Democrat Party of the blue dog Democrats is dead and it's gone and it's been gone for a long time. This is the Democrat Party that doesn't embrace safe, legal, and rare, which I disagree with, by the way, but at least on its surface sounded somewhat sensible. Today is the Democrat Party of not only shout your abortion, but if you are a pro-life activist, today's Democrat Party is going to weaponize the FBI and have them bust your door down at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning with guns drawn pointed at you and your young children. In other words, this Democrat Party is so radical, so leftist, that we've got to get people who are actually going to fight against them. Because if we're going to play politics the old ways, the days whenever we could sit down and have a beer with the blue dogs, we're going to lose this country. And that's why I'm running. Because more than anything in Washington, we need people who can fight, who have some backbone and will stand up to the left and actually represent the people of their district. I think, and I, I know I'm going on for a little while, but <laughs> one issue is the 2020 election that's really important. To your point, and you hit, you hit on some really key things here, and that's that Republicans have to be bold about what happened in 2020. The 2020 election was stolen, 100%. It was stolen from Donald Trump. He should be in the White House right now. And if we're not willing to admit that, with what urgency are we going to pursue election integrity reforms, reforms that are desperately needed, things like voter ID laws, getting rid of mail-in ballots, getting rid of the machines? If we can't have a clear eye about what they did in 2020, we're not going to pursue these things aggressively. And I'm, it's sad to say, but I think that I'm the only person in my race who will say unambiguously, without doubt, the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump. Amen to that. And I could not agree more. May I ask you, know, can you put his Chiron back up just so we can be sure? Okay. I could not agree more, and I mentioned a moment ago, I'm astonished by people who would, they all know to grasp onto the word conservative. I'm not just Republican, I'm conservative. But when it, takes, it comes to taking position on hard issues, like, or, or I don't mean they're hard to solve or hard to understand, they can bring uh, you, you know, the, the darts and, and, and arrows and attacks from the left if you say them. The 2020 election was stolen. We haven't done anything in any state sufficient to prevent that from happening again. We have not had one state step up and do all that needs to be done, which is eventually get rid of the machines. That kind of bravery, honestly, I think it is drawing people these days. There's one reason people are drawn to President Trump, because he doesn't mince his words. He doesn't say, well, this could be true, but maybe this. He says what's true, and literally millions of Americans are saying, yeah, that guy. I want that guy because he's telling me the truth. So love that. And also, again, leave that Chiron up. I'm sorry, if you would be just for a moment for our happy listeners. So we're speaking with Brandon Gill. Um, now, I want to make sure I said his website correctly. BrandonGillForCongress.com. BrandonGillForCongress.com. Uh, or you can get him on Twitter at Real or X at Real Brandon Gill. I would urge you to follow him, read his website, follow what he's saying on Twitter, because this is how you begin to get to know a candidate. I do not have time between now and the 
the primary to get all the other candidates in. I'm trying to get a lot of state rep candidates in. But I was so impressed by uh, what I read about you and what I understood, frankly, from your mother-in-law um, about how great you are. <laughs> so I really wanted to uh, have you on, and I'm so glad I did. I commend you for running. I thank you for running because it's very hard to run. I mean, any kind of race is hard to run. And you're, you just have to have a thick skin, decide you know who you are, what you think, say who you are, and, and take the results as they come. But I just can't commend you strongly enough for running, and thank you for joining me. Uh, any last shot to tell people about your campaign, and then we'll wrap it up. Well, th thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it, and I enjoyed it as well. Uh, you can find more information, like Debbie said, about me and my campaign at brandongillforcongress.com. And I do encourage you to follow me on Twitter just because that's a great place to get my raw thoughts on what's happening all, all across the political sphere. Um, so follow me there. I'm at Real Brandon Gill. Okay, Brandon Gill, thank you for joining me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep an eye on your campaign. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Okay, my very fine friends, I'm going to try to hit in, hit on three more topics, but we can do it. We can do it. One I want to hit on, I mentioned in Washington today, um, <clears throat> there's a, uh, has been now, it's actually over now, a hearing uh, in federal appeals court uh, to deal with the issue that Donald Trump raised regarding presidential immunity. The things he's being prosecuted for, uh, to be very clear, we're talking about presidential immunity is the idea that when you're serving as president, you are immune from, meaning cannot be charged with a crime or sued for actions taken within the course and scope of your elected office. And basically that is usually brought, uh, viewed broadly. I mean, you're doing your job. You're not supposed to be subject to be uh, to prosecution or to um, or civil uh, litigation. So uh, what is happening today, happened today in Washington, Donald Trump, President Trump chose to attend the hearing in Washington at federal appeals court on his argument about presidential immunity. And so there's, uh, to be precise, so he's being prosecuted uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, over the issue of the um, uh, of January 6th, what happened on January 6th, that prosecution's uh, ongoing, and that's what Jack Smith is prosecuting. He's also being prosecuted in state court in Georgia uh, over alleged interference. This is with this Fannie, Fannie Willis um, lady, prosecutor, and by the way, a small aside, Fannie Willis got herself uh, in a little bit, of more, maybe more than a little bit of trouble. Uh, Fannie Willis, as it turns out, uh, was having uh, an, an affair, an illicit uh, romantic affair with the um, the person that she appointed and is authorizing the payment to um, a guy named Nathan Wade. She's paid him uh, $654,000 to prosecute Donald Trump. So Georgia court uh, DA Fannie Willis is now being charged uh, in, in papers that uh, another defendant has filed asking the court to dismiss charges. But basically, turns out Fannie Willis awarded her boyfriend a, the job of prosecuting her you know, kind of secret lover type uh, named Nathan Wade, that's the allegation, and has paid him $654,000, part of which they have spent on going vacations together. So that is the caliber and class of uh, Fannie Willis. But I digress. So back to Washington. Trump is making the argument um, in federal court that this is unprecedented to allow a 
criminal prosecution of a president over conduct in the course and scope of his his job as president. There was a tweet he put out. We have one tweet I want to show you. This, no, I shouldn't say tweet. It's a truth, I guess you call it. On Truth Social, Donald Trump put this up. I will be attending the federal appeals court arguments on presidential immunity in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday. Of course, I was entitled as president of the United States and commander-in-chief to immunity. I wasn't campaigning. The election was long over. I was looking for voter fraud and finding it, which is my obligation to do, and otherwise running our country. If I don't get immunity, then crooked Joe Biden doesn't get immunity. And with the border invasion and Afghanistan surrender alone, not to mention the millions of dollars into his pockets with money from foreign countries, Joe will be right for indictment by weaponizing the DOJ against his political opponent. Me, Joe has opened a giant Pandora's box. It is a that is a really consequential question that President Trump is, is making the point of. And this, you know, I called this segment uh, "Lawfare versus Trump" and "Where are we now?" I want to kind of I can't run through in great detail, but I want to make the point that President Trump is arguing here is extremely important uh, because what is, in, in my view, what's happening in all of the cases that involve President Trump, including the the Mar-a-Lago documents and the Georgia state level things and uh, the. January 6th, um, episode of January 6th, this is a politicization using the power of government to politically attack an enemy, to attack an enemy for political reasons. This is what the left is doing in my view. This is what the left is doing in the view of millions of people. And so people watch this uh, stuff, and I want to mention a couple of ways the left is engaging it. So these prosecutions uh, inane um, and, and, and unjustified. Um, and he's actually filed a motion to dismiss in the Georgia case, a motion to dismiss the charges, arguing he has immunity. He's allowed to check into the appearance of election fraud. And honestly, as the facts keep emerging in Georgia, the Georgia, the state of Georgia looks worse and worse and Trump looks better and better. But I also want to mention there's a um, Prosecutor Jack Smith tried to go after, tried to get a quick ruling um, before the Supreme Court, um, and, and they wanted a ruling on the immunity. And he was trying to essentially, Jack Smith, the prosecutor, was trying to shut down Trump's capacity to raise immunity as a defense. Um, and so he, Jack Smith, went to the, tried to go right to the Supreme Court and say, you know, he doesn't get immunity for this, and the court wouldn't wouldn't uh, bite. But. The larger thing about lawfare and why it is so consequential is because it has become a political tactic of the left. This is not news today, but has become a political tactic in the same way that, you know, putting out false stories used to be or, you know, going after someone because they go back uh, to something decades ago in their background and attack them. Lawfare, using the courts as a vehicle, as a, as a you know, battering ram against your political opponent, has become one of the primary games the left plays. They do not want Trump on the ballot this fall. They do not want Trump. They will do anything they can, anything they can, to keep him off the ballot this fall. One person we talked about in the show in the past, uh, but his name is Mark Elias. Uh, this is the, he's just a Democrat operative. He has a group called Democracy Docket. And basically, their entire point is to attack Trump in every way they can think of, to attack Trump so he and others are part of this effort to go around to various states, try to get the state Supreme Court or some court in that state to rule that Donald Trump cannot be in the ballot on that state for the fall, for the primary or for the fall election because, you know, this insurrection charge, which he hasn't been charged with insurrection, but hey, you know, those are just um, vital details they choose to ignore. 
This use of lawfare is very dangerous in this country because it takes away respect for the courts. It takes away the, the uh, rule of law, the sense of justice and equal justice for all um, in the courts. And you know, even Carrie Lake's been out talking about this. Her lawyers and some of Trump's lawyers are threatened with losing their law licenses because they took a case on behalf of Trump or other times on behalf of Carrie Lake, going to the courts and saying there's actually radical sufficient evidence of election fraud. Sufficient evidence, please look at this, they're trying to raise election fraud cases in the way normally you would ask, you would want a candidate or elected official to do, to use the courts. And the courts, and the courts, at least in the case with respect to Donald Trump, the courts would not look at the evidence. They wouldn't look at the evidence that no matter what was submitted in the complaint about election fraud, the courts wouldn't look at the evidence. They instead dismissed all of the um, claims being made by these lawyers on behalf of Trump and Kerry Lake, at least on behalf of Trump, on some procedural ground like latches or standing or some other thing, and just threw it out. But what Kerry Lake's saying, and part of what I'm saying today about lawfare is, when you can get the courts, because these cases of trying to remove lawyers that take away their law license, these are being initiated by state bar associations, obviously some of them very leftist, and those state bar associations going after lawyers for filing legitimate claims. I mean, even if you think ultimately the evidence would have come out a different way, the evidence would, you know, direct would cause someone to conclude, no, there's not sufficient evidence for election fraud. This, the, the mission of these kind of, of the state bars going after Sidney Powell and uh, Jenna Ellis, other lawyers, is to say, you have dared to attack the Democrat power, the powerful Democrat party, the powers in, to be in the Democrat party, and you can't do that. It is a biased, it is a blatantly political effort by the state bar associations going after lawyers saying, telling them you could lose your law license because you filed a case which we, the Bar Association, are claiming is frivolous. Especially when the courts didn't even look at the evidence, kind of hard to make that argument. But in any case, it is a very dangerous precedent being set in America. Carrie Lake's uh, warning, too, that lawyers who represented her and her various claims of obvious election fraud, again, obvious election fraud, Carrie Lake is making the point you know, her lawyers are being subject to discipline for the same reasons. And what happens is, and, and it is the goal of those engaged in this hysteria over election fraud, the goal is to silence everyone, to silence people so they do, they are not willing, they're not willing to take that next case when it comes along. What lawyer do you think there will be today in America if, if Trump wins the primary, which he will do unless they kill him, Trump wins the primary, we get to the fall election, there's massive obvious fraud. They claim that Joe Biden or whoever ends up being the left's candidate wins, and there's massive election of fraud. What a massive evidence of fraud. What lawyer do you think there is who will take that case? The answer is you won't find them. The lawyers will look at it and say, oh, you mean I could lose my law license? I could even get prosecuted? No way. And so this is the goal of this lawfare thing. It is evil, it's nefarious, it's evil, it's outrageous. It has to be, has to be uh, called out and stopped. The courts have to start going after the organizations like Mark Elias's Democracy Docket and other groups like that and actually begin to sanction them. They're the ones that should be sanctioned because they are filing frivolous efforts to remove a presidential candidate 
over on a charge which he's never been charged with, certainly hasn't been convicted with, and probably a charge from which he has and should have immunity under federal law. Those people bringing those cases, they should be the ones worried about being disbarred. It is absolutely upside down in this country. It's vital, vital, vital for people in this country to recognize how dangerous this trend is and how the courts, unless they're willing to stop it, the courts are complicit in politicizing our legal system. They are complicit. They cannot go along with this. The Colorado Supreme Court, please tell me that they're going to be reversed. Uh, they were the only state so far that bought this garbage litigation trying to take Trump off of their ballot. Uh, as it stands, Colorado has said, okay, he can be on the ballot because we're waiting for the Supreme Court to rule in, to weigh in. But it will be vital for the court, the Supreme Court, to recognize the, the not just preposterous, but heavily, just deeply damaging uh, effect on the American election system if you're going to, if you can have a presidential candidate that obviously is the one, the, the Republican Party, the vast majority, he's, he's up 40 points in all the polling against his next opponent. It's who the people want to be their president. Very questionable charges. And if the Supreme Court is going to allow this kind of action to stand, very dangerous precedent for America. One last thing on Trump before I turn to um, uh, two other quick stories. But uh, one th quick thing on Trump. This is just really important to understand about what the... Um, let um, me get this story back up. Uh, what the um, left is, is doing with respect to Epstein. Quick, quick aside, so the Epstein, more and more of the uh, email communications, other evidence, the Epstein, you know, Jeffrey Epstein, the perverted, pedophile, criminal, disgusting human being, um, more evidence coming out uh, of what he created, emails, all sorts of communications. And so part of what the left is trying to do is because Bill Clinton is front and center, women saying, you know, victims testifying, yeah, I was told Bill Clinton likes them young. You know, he's traveled on uh, with Jeffrey Epstein to, uh, I believe, all three of the sites where he engages in, the, they engage in the most perverse sexual assault and abuse of, of many minor women. So, but what the media has been doing is tossing Trump's name in along with Clinton to try to say, well, you know, because then it silences people, or so they think. But you need to understand, I want to urge you to go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, and read the article entitled, at the blog, at americacanwetalk.org. Read the article, Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump. Understand what Trump actually did, which was exactly the opposite of what Bill Clinton did. Trump didn't like the smell of it, didn't like the idea of it, and he's... Um, uh, and Epstein was, was trying to lure Trump in to get him compromised too. A lot of speculation. What Epstein was really doing, in addition to in addition to organizing organizing sexual trysts with uh, underage girls uh, under some degree of duress and very famous politicians and famous people, was he was gathering evidence. This is an allegation. Of what Epstein's motive was: gathering evidence to be used against, gathering just blackmail essentially to be used against powerful people. So when they go back to Washington and they're in the office, uh, Epstein can say, hey, by the way, I have a film of you. I know what you did with an underage girl. And so that evidence not only could be used against the members of Congress, but it's also uh, something that is was allegedly being done by Epstein. He's being paid to do this by somebody. Epstein's getting paid by somebody to gather to incriminating information so that these people are blackmailable and some um, suggestions being made that the, uh, this was being done by Mossad, by essentially the secret 
Secret Service of uh, Israel. I don't know if that portion is true, but Epstein made a boatload of money in no discernible way. No discernible business venture got him the money that he had. Speculation is he was being paid to gather this incriminating evidence, but back to Trump. Trump would have nothing to do with it, and, and Trump actually issued finally executive order 13773. Read about it at our website, americakimmytalk.org, enforcing federal law with respect to transnational criminal organizations, preventing international trafficking. He signed this executive order February 2017. Read that. Trump was not the bad guy in this Epstein thing. It's killing the left that a lot of their guys were, uh, but Trump apparently was not. Okay, so I still have, I think I can fit these two stories in. I got to tell you, I love doing a show four days a week when I used to be able to do that. I love five days a week. However, I'm down to two days a week doing this show because I'm running my own campaign for RNC Committee Woman for the State of Texas. RNC Committee Woman for the State of Texas. And it is a, the website is debbiegforrnc.com. Debbie G, the digit for rnc.com. I'd love for you to go there. Check it out. Check out what I tell you I believe in, all about my bio, positions on strong things. I've gotten many, many extraordinary endorsements by, by really influential actual leaders, conservative leaders. I'd love to have you read that list of endorsements. I'd love for you to join wherever you are. If you support this campaign, bringing my message about pro-America to the RNC, love to have you do that. So, I, but, um, so now I have too many stories, not enough time. But I do want to turn to this story. I called it Biden Bullies Black Americans. And the very quick summary is, you'll likely recall there was a just grotesquely horrible incident um, that occurred in um, Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. There was a massacre at a, massacre at a black church. And it was, it was race, racially motivated. It was a you know crazy, evil guy who ended up killing... Um, I think he killed nine people, 10th person injured, all the victims were black. And this was a church, uh, which is the um, Charleston, um, it is the uh, Mother Emanuel AME. If you never know who AME is, by the way, it's African Methodist Episcopal. AME is African Methodist Episcopal Church in South Carolina. And so essentially, um, there were a church full of people uh, down there, uh, and, and this horrible thing occurred in 2015. So Joe Biden, who continues, this is why I say he bullies black Americans. He lies to them about America. He instills fear in their hearts about America. He tries to convince them that this horrible incident denounced and deplored by everyone sane in America is somehow part of a more massive white supremacy, you know, mindset that exists around the country, which is another lie about America. We have a quick clip. Uh, so uh, he, um, Biden, was called down to, went down to AME Church. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to play a quick clip of him in a minute. I actually cut out the parts because I don't want to be cruel, where Biden is stumbling, losing his place, looking like days like he can't even figure out where he is, and, and mumbling, muttering silly things. But I do want you to hear this quick thing he said. We have this quick, if you can play it, Mr. Emilio. It's with great pride that I present to you the man best qualified, the man totally committed to making every American a part of the American dream, Joe Biden. Thank you, please. Thank you. Thank you. Moments of unbearable loss. 
On June 17, 2015, the beautiful souls, five survivors and five survivors, invited a stranger into this church to pray with them. The word of God was pierced by bullets and hate of rage, propelled by not just gunpowder, but by a poison. Poison has for too long haunted this nation. What is that poison? White supremacy. Oh, it is. It's a poison throughout our history. It's ripped this nation apart. Okay. I, I did cut out a lot of what he had to say because it's excruciating and unbearable. But I want to make this point, and I want to urge people, if you're active in politics in any way, I played the beginning. I showed you the beginning of that clip because... I had to cut short the amount of hysterical applause that went on when the president, first, president Biden first got in front of the church. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. And then after he just, he, when the applause died down a little bit, you know, Biden made a joke about, I rest my case. That was the first word he said, I rest my case. And then they start clapping again. And then you hear four more years being chanted. I want you to hear that because I do want to make clear to you that as much as I am very sure very sure, as sure as I'm sitting here, the vast majority of Americans do not want the Biden agenda. They do not want the, what the Biden administration is doing to this country. They do not want the destruction of families. They do not want the LGBTQ transgender advocacy agenda. They do not want critical race theory. They do not want the border abandoned. They do not want to surrender American sovereignty to the World Health Organization. They do not want the corruptions of our elections, which always end up benefiting the Democrats. They do do not want election fraud. They do, American people do not want anything that Biden is doing. It's really important to understand that. They don't want it. But across this country, we do have segments in this country. We have groups of people in this country. Is I'm not talking just about black Americans. I'm talking about segments of black America. I'm talking about women, groups of women that are that are viewed as a, a, a silo voting block. The left thinks they own. And then they think the same way about black American votes and the silo women American votes and Hispanic American votes. The left believes they own people because of their skin color or their gender. That's how they think. They don't think about, they, they can't be thinking about, look at these great ideas that we have. We're out here selling away, selling our country. We're giving away uh, the border. We're you know, corrupting the medical system by, for, by and we're invading your healthcare freedom. We're taking away your healthcare freedom. We're invading your schools and filling with ugliness of racism, which is CRT. The left cannot run on their agenda. They cannot run because it's not a winning agenda. Biden never gets up and says, vote for me. We've abandoned the southern border. We've now got millions of people in this country. We have no idea who they are, where they are, what they do, what they intend to do to us. And many of them include Chinese military-aged men with direct ties to CCP, the numbers over 10,000 of just those people. Biden doesn't run on those things. And neither does any other Democrat. Because if they did, they wouldn't ever win. They run on instilling in the hearts and minds of categories of people fear that, they are, that our society is against them, fear that they are the mental mindset of being a victim. They sell victimhood to various groups. 
They sell victimhood because they're portraying the whole country around these people are just, you know, out to get them, don't like them, discriminate against them because of their race or ethnicity or because of their gender. They sell fear. They sell division. It is how they get power, how they keep power. For Joe Biden to show up at that church after an incident in 2015, and instead of saying, what a beautiful thing, what a, this is a beautiful church, what a wonderful thing, here we were here together celebrating, we all Americans denounce, all of us denounce racism, we denounce the violence, we denounce, he uses every bit of history, every instant he can to sell lies about America. That's who Joe Biden is. And that's what the American left is. It isn't just Joe Biden. He's just following the playbook. It's the same playbook that Hillary Clinton had. It's the same playbook that um, that Joe, that uh, Bill Clinton had. It's the same book we've had in this country. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how long, I'm sorry, I'm trying to quick find what I want to tell you next. Um, they, they can't begin to sell what they, um, Left, can, sorry about that. The left cannot win with the with their arguments by telling you what they believe in. They win the political argument by certainly promising money and giving away and giveaways, and they're continuing to do that. But by telling people lies about America, Biden, when he tells Black Americans in Charleston, South Carolina, that America is a country rife with white supremacy, he is lying, and he is a bully. And he is using his power to, call, to bring fear into the hearts of people in, in, uh, at that church that day and, frankly, around the country. There, there just could not be a more, um, a more outrageous, unethical, grotesque uh, display of just, just utter ugliness and hate. Biden is, I know he got away, gets away a lot with because he's a bumbling old guy and he can't pronounce anything and he forgets where he is and he forgets where he's supposed to go. And you know, he's an old guy who says people's hair. He is, what he's doing in that church is pure evil. And so back to Republican candidates, we have to be saying, and Republicans of all kinds, that our party and our country includes everyone. Our party does include everyone, but we have to be willing to go outside of our comfort zone and speak in places like that church speak in communities that are majority black, majority Hispanic, speak in women's groups that maybe we think they, that we aren't necessarily welcome, but make inroads. Over this last 24 hours, because of my campaign to run for RNC committee woman, I've had two different groups reach out to me just in Texas saying they are Hispanic. It's a Hispanic woman running some group in two different cities, uh, and they're not related, uh, running a group where they live in a Hispanic low-income area Hispanic majority, low-income area. They form a group with a really happy, friendly-sounding name. I don't know what it is. And they invite the community in, and they bring Republican speakers in. We have to work on, on ideas like that. We've got to be able to get our message that we're the ones that truly embrace and accept and include and want to make everyone part of the American dream. We unite people. The Republican, conservative patriots unite people around the ideas of America around the ideas, the promise of America, and, and the Republican platform, to the extent the Republican Party follows the platform, which they don't always, but the Republican Party is identical with the founding ideas of America. 
That's what the Republican Party is, what it stands for, what its values are. And as candidates, the way for us to reach out to more people and more people in the party is to, to work on trying to find groups like these two women who reached out to me. To, I'm going to go speak at both groups. I can't wait because I want to tell them that we, on the Republican side, we believe in their rights. We believe in, in, in everything they believe in. They've just been lied to by the Democrats about what the Republican Party stands for. I'll be doing more on this, but I'm going to have one last story, which just because uh, I, I couldn't just leave it alone entirely today. We'll come back to it more. But the quick story you probably all saw that U.S. Congressman Clay Higgins uh, who is from uh, Louisiana, I think. Um, he was interviewed by Tucker Carlson, and he's been heavily involved in the, uh, now, in this time, in this congressional um, cycle, involved in the investigation into what really happened on January 6th. He dropped a few bombshells on Tucker's show, and I just want to tell you what they were, because it matters as we move forward. January 6th is another cabal of lies the left has cooked up and it's incumbent on Republicans to speak the truth. So what Chris, what Clay Higgins had to say, he's one, by the way, who was examining uh, Christopher Wray, the FBI head, in Congress and asked him, were there FBI agents embedded in the crowd on January 6th? Were there FBI agents in the building? And, you know, Christopher Wray, mumble mouth, can't tell the truth of it, you know, if it hit him over the head, he just, he just can't tell the truth. Mumble mouth didn't answer, said something. I don't even know what he said. It doesn't matter. He wouldn't answer. But what this guy is saying now, Clay Higgins, is that he asked Christopher Ray that because he already knew the answer. He, Clay Higgins, already knew the answer. Yes, there were FBI agents in, embedded. Yes, said he, the FBI agents were in the building, in the Capitol, before the Trump supporters were in the building. So you got FBI inside the building, dressed as Trump supporters, so they look like they're the troublemakers. And when the Trump actual supporters, the doors opened to them, they come in on January 6th. This is how far the FBI went to set up the American people, to set up the Trump supporters to be harmed. And the last thing I'll tell you about this before we turn to why it matters to you is he was asked in this interview, Tucker Carlson asked his U.S. Congressman Clay Higgins, how many FBI assets were there in the crowd on January 6th? His answer, well over 200. And you think of the way the Department of Justice and the FBI is treating the January 6th defendants when they knew all along they embedded, you know, people dressed like Trump supporters into that crowd. They were in the Capitol first and they, my view, aided and abetted this whole effort to criminalize January 6th, to set it up as an insurrection, which it wasn't all for the purpose of trying to make Donald Trump ineligible to be our next president. It was a setup, my very fine friends, from the beginning. Okay, we close every show by talking to you. I close every show by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today. There are not two sides to the border security issue. The Biden cabal is not incompetent or innocently mistaken. Overrunning the southern border is a deliberate plan for overthrowing America as founded. It's nothing less. Hearings to impeach Mayorkas start tomorrow. These hearings are absurdly late. Overwhelming damage has already been done, perhaps irreparable. Mayorkas brazenly warned about impeaching him. You're not going to like who comes next. These people have no conscience, no guilt, and no, there's just no end to their audacity. Current uniparty elected officials are not up to the calling of the times. Impeaching Mayorkas is a minor first step, long overdue. The American people must clean house to get a government worthy of them. 
Lawfare versus Trump, where are we now? From Conservative Treehouse, lawfare is a construct for media consumption intended to manipulate public opinion. Cases being pursued against Trump are baseless, pure banana republic behavior. Question, why would an incumbent who's got 18 million vote, 8 million votes be determined to put Trump behind bars? Because Biden knows, see, I'm sorry, I'm going to repeat that. Why would an incumbent who supposedly got 81 million votes be determined to put Trump behind bars? Because Biden knows he didn't get remotely close to 81 million votes. He was installed against the will of the American people. The American people want him out of the White House now. Trump, as always, is the only fierce fighter. He's moved to dismiss the Georgia lawsuit. He's openly pointing to immunity issues surrounding Biden's actions around the border and Afghanistan. Fannie Willis's romance uh, money scandal exposes further moral rot behind lawfare. Americans must insist on restoring the rule of law. On Biden bullies black Americans, Biden's appearance at a black church in the South to lecture about about the allegedly pervasive evidence of white supremacy in America is unconscionable, deliberate deceit intended to manipulate, and it is insulting to the intelligence of black Americans and all Americans. Watch The Fall of Minneapolis on Rumble. You've got to watch this film, my friends. The Fall of Minneapolis on Rumble, among other channels, the truth of the George Floyd story and the Derek Chauvin trial. Americans have been herded into mindless allegiance to false narratives about race. These false narratives are maliciously intended to foment fear, division, and hatred. Truth will set Americans free. But are there American leaders willing to speak the truth? And finally, U.S. Clay Higgins and the J6 eye-openers. Louisiana Congressman Clay Higgins, a former police officer, sat for an hour-long interview with Tucker Carlson regarding J6 evidence Higgins has personally seen. Key takeaways, federal agents inside the Capitol before any protesters, dressed as Trump supporters, and acted as guides to get protesters to key locations for inflammatory photo ops, for example, in Pelosi's office. 200-plus federal agents undercover, disguised, were at work at or around the Capitol on January 6. Americans are arriving at the inescapable conclusion the J6 protest was deliberately orchestrated into an insurrection narrative to destroy Trump and Trump supporters and seal the steel of the 2020 election. That, my friends, is our show for today. I want to urge you to tune in to America Can We Talk on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 p.m. This coming Thursday, we have Dr. Brian Artis joining us in studio. He was the doctor who who exposed for all the doctors in the nation uh, the fraud of what Dr. Fauci was pushing uh, remdesivir as the only permissible medication to be offered to COVID patients. And what Dr. The, our guest in the show, Dr. Brian Artis, exposed was that remdesivir had performed horribly in all of the experiments that Fauci was pointing to and relying on them. So anyway, he, he's a great, plus he's been way down the path in Big Pharma, exposing what Big Pharma's agenda is. So Dr. Brian Artis on Thursday. Every Thursday, I have an in-studio audience. If you'd like to join the in-studio audience, you can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com, americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Send me an email, put in the subject line, Thursday show, Thursday show, and then tell me I'll be in Dallas on Thursday at 3, may I come? We do a background check on everyone who comes because we need to be sure we know who's here. We'd love to have you join us though. So I do this show, I do this talk show, America Can We Talk? I wrote my book, Ladies Can We Talk? I host an annual Women for Freedom Summit, and I'm running for RNC uh, committee woman from Texas. Again, and if you put that little up too, if you would please, 
Thank you very much, Mr. Emilio. Debbie G for RNC.com is my website for that. I do all that I do to speak up for America, to speak truth about America, because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear